friends. Welcome to Cool Girls Look at Explosions. This is a movie podcast where we talk all about action movies. My name is Kelly. And hi, I'm Megan. And today we are going to be talking about Mission Impossible. The 1996 film Mission Impossible. We will warn you if you have not seen Mission Impossible and you were planning on checking it out and didn't want any spoilers, you're going to want to go watch it, then come back and listen to this because we are doing a full spoiler podcast on this movie. And honestly, you maybe want to go watch this. I don't know. There's actually a lot of twists and turns that you probably don't want ruined by uh, Megan and I because I feel like they probably do it better in the movie. They might do a slightly better job than us of explaining (laughs) Impossible. I would, Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> I would highly recommend it. I had never seen the movie before. Kel, how many times had you seen it? This is only my second watch, so I'm not like a Mission Impossible expert, but uh, I did do some outside research because I knew that this was a remake of a TV show. So oh, okay. this is kind of like a dark, gritty remake of a 1966 TV show that ran until 73 and then again was remade in the 80s. So everyone just be out here remaking Mission Impossible. Um, Jim Phelps, who is a character that we'll meet in the movie, is also featured in this show, however, not played by the same person. And we have some really great uh, 1966 names of characters. Are you ready for them? I'm really excited. Yeah, tell me them. So, some characters from the OG TV series. We have a character called Cinnamon. Ooh. Um, a character called Barney, Willie, and Roland. I wish that was one full name. Like, hi, I am Barney, Willie, Roland. Honestly. At your service. I wish they had kept those names for this movie because that would have been iconic. Um, but yeah, the original series was super campy. Basically, characters were getting switched in and out often. And... From what I've gathered from my research, the OG people who were in the Mission Impossible series absolutely hate this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew um, that Tom Cruise was like a huge fan of the series growing up and would watch it with his family. Um, So I thought that since he was such a fan that he would really like honor the series. But it's a little disappointing to hear that they didn't love it. Yeah, they basically were upset that spoilers again um a lot of people end up dying in this movie which was not what happened in the original series Hmm. yeah i was really surprised i don't know if we want to start by getting into it and get past that first initial hurdle yeah um, let's, let's talk about the pre <laughs> the pre-credit sequence that we get here Hmm. so we open up and all we see are the words kiev on screen very which is very open. dramatic yes it has set the stage. Yeah, and I feel like, um, personally, I was confused the first time I saw this. Like, what am I watching? Because it's essentially a guy watching a screen. And it's honestly a little bit unclear for the first, like, minute. If it's like, is he watching a TV show? And then it's like, oh, no, he's a spy. And this is clearly some sort of surveillance operation. Mm-hmm. The whole time he was watching the screen, there was a woman standing behind him and I kept waiting for her to stab him in the back and, and for him to be the one that is getting attacked. But she was a part of this. They were in a room adjacent to the one that they were watching and they were almost sending their agents in and out like they were characters to 
go into this room and convince this guy to give up the information. We need a name. That's what they're hoping for from uh, mm-hmm. the people in the other room. And it seems yeah. like they do get that name. Yeah. Now, Claire Phelps, who is Jim Phelps' wife in the film, um, she has taken some sort of poison that she needs to get the remedy for or else she's going to die. So they're really trying to get this name quickly so that they can go in and help her. And as soon as they get the name, they kind of usher the guy out, run in, shake her awake. And we see this little spark between Claire and Ethan, who at this point, we didn't realize that they weren't together. Yeah. And we do get the first two minutes into this movie, we get the first pull off of a very dramatic rubbery mask from Tom Cruise. (laughs) Yeah, the masks throughout this movie are by far my favorite part. They are so dramatic. And I thought that like, there's no way this keeps going, right? So we see this mask trick a few times throughout the film. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's super realistic. And then suddenly a character who you think is someone just like rips their face off and with no explanation. And that's just supposed to seem very normal to us. And it's always Tom Cruise. He's the only one who wears the masks. So from now on, like, I feel like I need to be checking if I'm talking to like a friend or am I talking to Tom Cruise? I really don't know. And conveniently, all of the characters that Tom Cruise impersonate kind of look like him. Yeah, just like older Tom Cruise. (laughs) He never does like a woman or anything. No, but I do hope that for future films, we see this mask thing continue. I think we have to. I think it's like a meme at this point. There is kind of this odd chemistry between Ethan and Claire. And I thought like, am I going crazy? So I'm really glad that you brought it up. Mm -hmm. And I learned that apparently the original opening sequence was going to have like the introduction of this love triangle between Ethan and Claire. Oh, well, yeah, they really make it seem like there's something there from the start. Yeah, apparently it was going to be like extremely explicit. And when they showed it to test audiences, they basically said it took them out of the movie and they hated it. (laughs) I mean, I do hate it. (laughs) I also hate it. But now I feel like it's missing from the rest of the movie because the whole time I was like, are Ethan and Claire fucking like what is going on? Yeah, I guess we'll get to that part. But it's like really, really awkward when... I guess, are we spoiling it now? They they get together briefly for like half a second where they only tell us about it and don't show it. And it starts with her just like reaching for his hand and making out with his hand and then it cuts away. It's not. It's very uncomfortable to watch. So you, you don't love a, a good hand makeup? I don't. I no? really don't like it. You don't want to get invited back home to a toasty fire for a good hand makeout? Uh, please do not touch my hands and definitely do not make out with my hands you don't know where those have been (laughs) this this i i guess is an old move there used to be uh spicy hand makeouts back in 20 years ago yeah 96 was the year of the hand makeout so yeah we we pull off this kiev mission and then basically immediately um we get the theme song which fucking slaps Oh my gosh, it's so good. I was singing it um, and then I panicked because I was like, wait, is this for Mission Impossible? Was it for 007? Like, which one is it? But as soon as it started playing, I was like, turns out I know my shit. Yeah, and that's the OG theme song too. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And as soon as the theme song is done, we kind of end up basically immediately we're on a plane. And that's all we know. And we we zoom in, we see John Voight, um, aka his character is Jim Phelps and he seems very important based on you know everything that we've seen in the past 
three minutes of this film. And he essentially is given, you know, it's 96, so the flight attendant comes up with a basket, question mark, of films, which I don't really remember what films look like in 1996, but these were not VHS tapes. What were these? No, it looked like an audio cassette. Like, I don't know. It really just looked like a cassette. And I was like, there's no way that plays any sort of like video, but I guess maybe I'm missing something. I th- I thought so too. And I was like, that's not a movie, but she definitely asks him, do you want to watch a film? Because he says like, yeah. oh, I'm more of a theater guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe- and then they show, they yeah. show it that, that we can see it. So uh, Jim Phelps on a plane, this um, stewardess comes, asks him if he would like a film. She forcefully gives him one. And then we learn that this is how uh, the CIA delivers missions to their agents. So we see this recording explaining their next mission. And then it says that the tape is going to self-destruct. And we get this little puff of smoke from the side uh, of his armchair where he had put the video in. And he's sitting there smoking away with his little exploded cassette that apparently no one on the plane is concerned about, which is very hilarious. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. We're suspending a lot of disbelief here. So the tape says, like, if you choose to accept your mission, and then there's no further communication. So how do they know if the person did decide to accept the mission? That's a great point. And obviously, like, the stewardess is in on it. Like, is she getting a tip from the CIA? Yeah. How many stewardesses are employed by the CIA? Just these questions. Is it just Tom Cruise in a mask? (laughs) Getting those air miles. So I guess he does, in fact, decide to accept this mission. Yes, they're going to Prague, or we're, we're all going to Prague together. Yes, it's a group trip, and this is kind of where we see everyone who is a part of the team uh, in the first mission come back. We see them as a group together, and we kind of learn a little bit more about each character and what their role is, and we learn that they're all going to be doing this mission as a team together. Yes, and one of the really important things I think that we learn is that Ethan likes a good cappuccino and he absolutely roasts jim for having a bad coffee choice in the safe house at the rat which i am fully on board with i was like fuck yeah ethan you tell him they need a cappuccino machine you um got an espresso maker and have changed kelly and white you are a snob you make your fancy cappuccinos every morning but there is a lot of truth to that and it certainly foreshadows that this is a shitty human that we are dealing with well, eh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, to be fair, it seems like they don't get a lot of sleep. We learn later that they're going to be meeting at 0400 hours. I feel like you need good, strong coffee to pull off these missions and stay awake until you got to meet up at the safe house. That is true. You do need steady hands. So I worry how much coffee they're drinking right before a mission. Do you need to use the bathroom during the mission? That's a great point. Do you need to keep your heart rate at a chill pace? Because they have all these contraptions to measure rooms that we learn later. Um, Maybe Jim's actually dosing them with decaf so that no one's getting like too hyped up. (laughs) No wonder uh, Ethan is so upset by the coffee. That's why he's so bummed out. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why this coffee just doesn't work, man. It doesn't taste right. Um, So we do meet the team in a classic kind of fashion where each of them goes about explaining what they're going to be doing through this mission. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite team member? Um, 
I would hold my breath at having a favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But (laughs) um, I guess initially I did love Jack. Um, I love Sarah. Like I really love them all. They seemed like a really well knit team. They seemed like they they really had their roles and, and thought they had been together for a long time and they kind of knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. Now I did pause the screen when it showed each of their IDs. I only did it for Ethan, but it said that he's the point name. Do you know his alias name? Oh, I do not. Ah, his alias name is Philippe Duchette. Oh, Felipe Duchette. Wow, <laughs> Ethan. Okay. Mm. Now, the other only other questionable part of his profile was it said nearest relative was Margaret Ethan Hunt. And I'm, pre- <laughs> I'm pretty sure his mom's middle name is not Ethan Hunt. And that whoever just was like typing in that info was... Like, fuck it. I can't think of a middle name. Just put Ethan Hunt. Oh, my God. They're probably like, no one will ever look at this. (laughs) So that was a little rough. They could have just picked any random name. That's amazing. Yeah, L. They could have just put E, (laughs) Margaret Ethan. Yeah. They didn't even put a name. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is her middle name. And she was passing on the family to the next generation, passing on the family name. Ethan Hunt. Oh, no amazing yeah i also am a big fan of jack jack is kind of like the technology guy um Mm -hmm. we learn that he has this very fun gum explosive where you mush the red and the green side together and then hostel lasagna don't get any on ya hostel lasagna is the greatest catchphrase um of our movies so far so between yeah. Die Hard and this one there's only two i know but oh my gosh this is my favorite catchphrase i think i've ever heard hostel lasagna we don't talk about hostel lasagna enough like i feel like you know a lot of the phrases that we talked about in Die Hard, welcome to the party pal all of those get repeated constantly and hostel lasagna is an 11 out of 10 catchphrase yeah, that one I had never heard before. All the ones from Die Hard I had heard just like through the media or someone saying it randomly. But this one I've never heard before. And I'm personally offended. Yeah, we need to bring it back. We will for sure bring it back, at least between you and I. Yeah, clearly. Um, <laughs> we also, yeah, so we meet Sarah, who mm-hmm. I think is dating Jack. It's very unclear, um, but they talk about, like, going on a date, so I just assume they're boning, which, like, good for them. Yeah, I didn't, I completely forgot that if that happened. When you mentioned it earlier, I was like, oh, I I don't remember them being together, but again, don't hold your breath. (laughs) I was, I was paying very close attention because, so Jack is played by Emilio Estevez, and I love Mm -hmm. Emilio Estevez, so I completely forgot that, uh we'll get there but something happens to jack and i was like oh my god emilio estevez is in this movie and then i was like oh right that's why i forgot he was in this movie because he doesn't last for very long um but i'm pretty sure him and sarah were like a thing um we'll go on to fan fiction later and see if there's any uh sarah jack fanfics that people have written for this movie i feel like that would be a really large commitment for how long they're in this film Oh, you underestimate the commitment of fan fiction writers. I guess I do. I will certainly Google some of this after. We'll see the rabbit holes this podcast leads us down. <laughs> Maybe I'll write one. <laughs> Two months later, we're in deep to this uh, Sarah Jack uh, fanfic. We're following an author out there. Hey, maybe we could get the scoop. 
So the team is assembling in their Prague safe house to learn all this information, go over the mission. I love the part that you already mentioned about going over the the tech that they're going to be using. So we have this double-sided gum that if you mash the two colors together, it'll cause an explosion. We have glasses that will record your surroundings. Um, there are a few other things that were introduced to during the mission. Did you have a favorite gadget? Um, I also did like the glasses, though, as someone who does wear glasses, I think it kind of is annoying for people who don't wear them all the time, right? Like to have something on your face. I would say my biggest issue with the glasses is the way that they looked. Oh, they look atrocious. Yeah. You would think that Tom Cruise would be, would want to be a little bit more stylish <laughs> during this film, considering he like partially owned it. Yeah, it's almost like, um, remember when people would take the 3D glasses from movies and punch out mm. the mm-hmm. 3D lenses so that they could wear them around? Those are kind of what they look like. Did you ever do that? No, because I had real glasses that looked like that. <laughs> people would accuse me of it all the time. They're like, are these 3D glasses? I was like, no, I just can't see. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I know, it was very offensive. It is really, really annoying as someone who like later in life just figured out that they needed to wear glasses. And I didn't wear glasses for like 20 years. And then at some point I was sitting in university and realized like that board's a tad blurry. 3D glasses are the worst. Like I don't even want to go see a 3D movie because of them. No, 3D movies suck. Having to stack glasses is truly atrocious. No, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. There should be something better. Maybe we can invent something that like clips onto your glasses. When we make all our money writing Mission Impossible <laughs> fan fiction, we will use it to invest in this better, better 3D glasses. Okay. At least we have a plan if this podcast doesn't take off. At yeah. least we have a solid life plan that will definitely work. Yeah. If anyone wants to get in on the ground floor, like just reach out. <laughs> Are you a writer with some spare time? <laughs> oh, Do you have a passion for Sarah Davis and Jack Harmon? Have we got the pitch for you? So their mission, which I guess we haven't even discussed yet, is that there's a European diplomat, um, Goslin, who their plan is to steal this non-official NOC list, so the NOC list. Um, and it's a comprehensive list of all covert agents in Eastern Europe that lists their true name as well as their code name. So being able to have access to this list would give you the identity of all of the CIA secret agents. So they need to go and prevent this from happening and make sure he doesn't escape with the list or at the very least get video evidence proving that he did this so that they can catch him and put him away. Yes, it's a very, very important list. We don't want it to get stolen. And that's where we're at with this plan. pretty thorough plan. So, um, so Ethan, um, he puts on this really detailed mask as we've seen in his past. He is the queen of masks and he has this great disguise. They go to this elegant party where they know that Goslin is going to be to go steal the list. They spread out, they each have their jobs and, uh, Jim Phelps is staying back at home base, kind of coordinating as a bird's eye view, watching each of them through their glasses and kind of giving instructions. Ethan Hunt and Sarah Davis, who are paired together, um, Ethan is wearing a disguise. They go and they need to get into this room where they have put the knock list as bait. 
so that they can get some footage of um, Goslin stealing the list. So they need to bypass some security. We have Jack Harmon, who is kind of their computer guy, tech guy. He is sitting in an elevator um, so that he can use his computer to break into the system so that they can go up the elevator, um, get into this room. And ultimately, once they do, they take off their video glasses. They leave it on a little shelf and they turn the computer so that they're able to videotape the whole interaction of when Gosselin goes into the room so that they can get evidence to see if um, he is actually the one trying to steal this. Yes, so it's a very complicated plan and very dangerous for poor Jack who has to sit in an elevator shaft while everyone else like hangs out in this fancy party. So one of my favorite pieces of tech that they actually use is earlier on when uh, Ethan and Sarah are walking through the party, um, Sarah sprays this little bottle onto the back of Gosselin's head so that they can keep track of where he is and whatever that spray was, um, Hannah Williams, who is kind of also keeping a bird's eye watch, but actually at the facility, she can see that liquid that they sprayed onto his hair really vibrantly. So she can kind of always keep track of him. So she's watching him while they're sneaking over to the elevator. So they go in, they leave the glasses. And when they go to leave, Jack is trying to open up the elevator for them, but then realizes that someone is actually calling the elevator and he loses control of it it goes down no this is terrible somehow ethan and sarah are able to kind of escape through like a back door um so they run out into the street mm-hmm. so, which apparently jack was also not able to do yeah because jack needed to make sure that he reset the elevator like i don't really know he's not the elevator technician i don't know why he cares so much to make sure that the elevator is working properly also, I don't know why if he's overriding the elevator, if how someone else would be able to call it while he has it under his control, seemingly. It's, I think someone was overriding his override. <laughs> By just pressing the elevator button. Yeah, exactly. He's like, God damn it. He's like, not again. <laughs> don't you press that. <laughs> so we see um, Sarah and Ethan run out. Uh, Jack has lost control of the elevator. And suddenly we see the elevator go up and it keeps going up while he's on it. And these sharp um, metal bars. Like claws, teeth. Claws, I don't even know how to describe them. They like tilt down as the elevator is going up from the roof and it stabs him right through the head, through the eye, and he's dead. It is like very gruesome and very out of nowhere. Yeah, I was definitely not expecting that. I thought that these characters would last throughout the whole movie. I wasn't ready for it. And I also just kept wondering why he didn't try to move or lay down or really do anything to dodge these metal bars. I guess he was just like too shocked. I don't. It's just weird because it's like that you cast Emilio Estevez in a movie. You don't expect that this is what's going to happen. You think he'll stick around. You think he'll get into the flying V and be able to get out of this. But in fact, he was not able to. And Jack is dead, which is unfortunate because he was kind of my favorite character. He was definitely one of the best characters at the beginning. He was the tech guy. Everyone loves the tech guy. And he was like funny. He had like good rapport with everyone. But, but now he's dead to us and to the rest of the crew. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. <laughs> It's a bummer. They like, they like really skip over it quite quick. Like nobody goes back to check on him. They're just like, oh, Jack's dead. All right. And so then Jim says, okay, 
Jack died, we should probably abort this mission. Yeah, which is absolutely the right thing to do. And Tom Cruise is a total overachiever and is like, no, Ethan, Ethan's like, no, I'm not aborting the mission. We need to go through with this. I'm kind of on uh, Ethan's side at this point where, okay, Jack died. It seems to be that something messed up with the elevator and not that there's any outside sources or any anyone that's on to them. So he's like, okay, Jack's dead, but now we see Goslin trying to escape. And the point of the plan was what we're going to do is catch him on video stealing the Nautilus, but then we're going to go make sure we get the Nautilus back from him and he doesn't truly escape with it. So now we have the video evidence and we have the list still safe in our hands and they see him walking by seemingly escaping. And now Jim's saying, well, abandon the mission. And it's like, okay, well, yes, Jack died, but he's right there. Like, it wasn't anyone's fault that he died, and the mission can still be accomplished. Yeah, maybe I'm just, like, lazy. I just, like, no, we're <laughs> done. We're done today, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think at that point, it still makes sense to go, just go and keep fighting for it and still try to finish it. Um, some other characters. So Hannah Williams was also their uh, transportation so after she had been watching and using some of the tech earlier on, she pops out and she goes to a car where at that point in the mission, before they abandoned it, um, she was supposed to meet up with everyone. They were all going to hop in the car and drive away. Yes. And in quick succession, we kind of figure out that like, oh, this mission is really going south. Yeah, so at this point, we see Jim Phelps, who runs out. He leaves kind of their little safe house where he was watching everything. And everyone can see each other on through their glasses cameras. So he runs, and it looks like he's running to meet up with the rest of the team. And suddenly, everyone else sees on their watches that are showing the video that Jim is shot. So on their video, they see a bull bullet going towards him he looks down and you can see that his hands are really bloody and then you see Jim kind of keel over and he falls into the river uh, beside him and so Ethan sees all this panics and says okay now we should abandon the mission like shit's actually going bad he like books it over to try to find Jim but he sees him fall in the river he floats away he turns and it's like Suddenly there's a big explosion and Hannah, who's in the car, dead as well. So that's three members of their team dead. Yeah, he thought that Claire was also in the car with Hannah. So he thought those two people are dead. He runs back to try to find Sarah. And we find Sarah in a very, very shitty position. She's basically walking down the street and she sees Galitzin. um, So she kind of follows him. Unfortunately, when she gets to him, he is being stabbed through a fence. This is where I have a small problem with like, okay, wait, how is Sarah dead? Because the next scene that we see of Sarah is Ethan finding her body. I don't really understand how she didn't just run away from the guy with the knife. Like you can run away from someone with a knife. It's not like he had a gun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This was very confusing. So Uh, Galitzin walks up to a fence. I guess maybe he thought he was doing a handoff. There's some reason that he needed to be close to that fence. And then someone else stabs him through the fence. Now, uh, Sarah's decision to walk up and press herself against the fence so that the person on the other side can stab her 
is a little bit confusing. Yeah, unless this person has like rubber arms, they're not going to be able to reach her unless she gets <laughs> real close. The slinky arms? Who is that? Uh, Inspector Gadget? Yeah, yeah. Clearly yeah, he like Inspector shoots Gadget. his hand through, grabs her, pulls her in. Yeah. Inspector Gadget stabs Sarah uh, and she dies. And something else I thought, so Ethan is like running around just seeing everyone dying. Um, he runs over to Sarah and is like holding her while she dies. And all I could think is like, dude, don't like get your fingerprints everywhere. Because while they work for the CIA, they're in this like private division where they're a little bit unassociated like the cia isn't gonna always have their back they're the impossible mission force that's what they're called yeah so it's like we'll help you while you keep successfully doing these missions but if you get caught like you're kind of on your own it seems like a terrible job as we're learning when all of his friends and team are now dead um yeah not not the best job I don't know how you felt about this, but I genuinely haven't been like this surprised in a movie in a very long time. Like, I feel like most of the times with movies, we can kind of call out what's going to happen next in the plot. I really did not think all these people were going to die so quick. I thought I thought for sure maybe one person on their team would die. But I thought like this whole team was was going to live. So Ethan's entire team is dead and he's just kind of roaming the streets in his expensive suit and he needs to do something so he goes into a phone booth he uses some kind of weird tech which i really like where he like i don't know if you notice this he pops off like the speaker of the payphone and like puts a different thing in mm-hmm. which was very cool and he calls kittredge yeah he like covers it mm-hmm. so we know kittredge is the boss i guess he's above jim and Kittredge basically says, okay, I'm going to meet you at this spot. Like, don't worry. We'll figure this out. Apparently, Kittredge is also in Prague. And he's like, oh, just meet me at this restaurant in like an hour. Yeah, it's very casual. The whole thing is extremely casual. Yeah, and it sounds like Ethan very rarely bumps into him. And he's like, oh, you're in Prague? Like, that just seems a little bizarre to him. But he's like, okay, I'll go meet you there. Yes, yeah, so they meet up at this very bougie seafood restaurant um oh which oh it's nice it is a nice ass restaurant you have giant tanks everywhere of various Mm -hmm. fish and crustaceans and immediately i'm struck by how much i don't like kittredge i kind of like kittredge really (laughs) yeah what don't you like about him okay i really don't like it when i'm watching people acting and in their acting, they're also acting. You know what I mean? Because, like, Kittredge is acting like he doesn't know what's going on, but he really does. And sometimes I feel like when you go two levels too deep, it's just too much for me. I guess his character has to act like he doesn't know. Um, but, yeah, I kind of like him. Like, from his perspective, so kind of we'll give you a quick rundown of what happens at this restaurant. While Ethan is explaining what happened he kind of realizes that all the people that are around him at this restaurant are also the people who were just at the party he was at where they they were conducting their mission. He sees like party guests he saw there and he kind of realizes that they're all CIA agents. And he's like, what are all of them doing here? And they're watching them during this conversation. And Kittredge is explaining to Ethan that part of their mission um, was fake and that it was all a setup to catch someone who's a mole on their team 
And since Ethan's the only one alive, kind of makes sense that he would be the mole. It also comes up that his family who own this small farm, uh, their bank account just had $125,000 just put into it. And so those things are very suspicious. So Ethan realizes like, oh, he thinks I'm the mole and kind of realizes what's happening. So in this scene, there's also a pretty infamous cinematography device known as Dutch angles. Have you heard of this at all? No, I haven't. Please tell me everything, though. So basically, a lot of cinematographers use it to show, like, when the plot shifts. Um, And it's that shot where basically you see Ethan um, head on. Like, mainly it's just his face, but it kind of tilts. So you're at this really uncomfortable Mm. angle looking at his face. And that's a big thing that a lot of people will use to show, like, a plot shift. Um, And that's actually, like, a really really well known and often used example to talk about like dutch angles and when they're effectively used which is pretty cool so it's going slightly up yeah so it's slightly up and like just like angled i feel like that's everyone's worst nightmare to be part of a zoom call with that angle like that's the angle you avoid the dutch angle is not what we want it's great in a movie when you want to use it for like your plot but yeah not good for a zoom call (laughs) not not zoom friendly we no dutch cuts here please yeah we're against the dutch angle for zoom oh my gosh and this part is great because what does he do he uses that gum baby oh yes so i have questions about this gum it seems like when he uses it i thought that it was as soon as he mashed it together it would explode so it made me worried about how you would actually use it without blowing your hand off but i guess there's a slight delay while that reaction's taking place i agree because based on like hostile lasagna don't get any on i just assumed it was instant as well but i guess yeah yeah you must have like five seconds maybe yeah so he mashes this gum together once he realizes like this is all a setup i'm fucked He throws it at a fish tank and it just explodes and he runs out of the restaurant to escape. Now, the amount of water that they show in this scene exiting the restaurant, it's like a tidal wave. And there is just no way, no way that there is that much water in the fish tanks in this restaurant. Oh, I know how much water there is. Do you want to know how much water there is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a guess? I know the answer in tons. Oh, there's no way I know how many tons of water something is. There are 16 tons of water that explode at that point. So that's far too many for like a fish tank in a restaurant. Yeah. So apparently when they filmed this, um, essentially they tried to do it with a stunt person. And the director, um, whose name is Brian De Palma, was like, this looks absolutely terrible. Tom Cruise, can you please do it? And he was like, okay, even though 16 tons of water could legitimately drown you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also... It. You're running through glass. And so I did see a little interview with him where he was saying that he wants to participate and he wants to do almost every stunt. But this is the one where he was like, you know what? Glass in my face. Like, I'm an actor. This is not not where I want to be. But but he ended up doing it and he's jumping over another stunt man as he's exiting the window. And I thought that it looked fantastic. It was a little unbelievable. But I mean, it's an old movie and like I thought it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. It looks super cool. Mm -hmm. So he successfully escapes and he runs away and he runs back to their like safe house to look for clues and to kind of figure out what's going on. Everyone I know is dead. Shit is fucked up. How do I get out of this? Uh, Because they all have me as a prime suspect. Yes. 
so while he's there, he kind of starts, like, investigating more of what's in the room. He goes onto the computer and he realizes that perhaps this is something to do with Job 314. This is, like, the most far-fetched segment of this film, like, by far. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the jump in logic for him to figure this out is insane. So they figure out that there is an arms dealer named Max, who's the one who requested the list um, that they decided to set as a decoy mission. So he's trying to find out how do I meet Max? And so he sends, he like goes onto the computer and does these searches for Max and job 314, because that was like the code name of the mission. And so he shoots emails to Max at job and there's a space three colon 14. And for whatever reason, he decides that that would get a message to the max he is looking for, question mark. It's totally random how this happens. Yeah. So he goes through and he just starts sending lots of emails to this random account in different languages using different scripture. And it's just so far-fetched that this would ever amount to anything. But I think it just shows how little they knew about the internet back then. Yeah, and like what it could do. He's literally cold calling arms dealers with this <laughs> yeah. situation. Like he is, it's totally, totally far-fetched. Somehow mm-hmm. it works. Yeah. So they realize that, I don't know if we mentioned it before, but the the mole is called Job. That That's who it is. And they realize that how his alias was discovered and the the reason he chose the the name job is because of a bible passage so he actually receives a reply back to one of his emails telling him to go to a specific intersection in prague and when he gets there he's instructed to walk up to a park bench and ask for a match when that happens a car pulls up he's told to get in and he is told to put on a big mask and that if he wants to meet Max, um, he has to keep the mask on at all times. And so they bring him to the location that has Max and he starts saying like, I want to be able to see Max. And they're like, no, you can't. No one gets to see Max. And then immediately they change their mind and say, fine, you can see Max if you want. And they take off his mask. Yeah, these thugs are useless. Yeah, they're really not great. I will and say, so I mm-hmm. immediately am in love with Max. Oh, right! I love bat. Max. Do you know if Max is in uh, future movies? I don't think so. I would have to look it up though, and I don't want to spoil what happens in future movies because I have not seen any other Mission Impossibles. Ooh, this will—I'll finally be kind of on a level playing field with you, where we both haven't seen a movie. Yes, but yeah, Max is unreal. I also do want to say Max is one assistant. Um, He's sitting in the passenger side seat of the car. Mm -hmm. He has a very aggressive hairline. Did you notice this? No, not at all. He, and like, I don't want to hate on the man. And it was 1996, but wow, it's a look. He's just going for it. Um, But I guess we kind of haven't uh, said like the, the big reveal is that Max is a woman. And she is just so fucking badass. She's super funny. She has Mm -hmm. like a very unplaceable, mild accent, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she just is crushing it. And uh, Ethan and her kind of go toe to toe. And I think she kind of likes that he's being like a little flirty. And they come to an agreement. The agreement Mm -hmm. being that Ethan 
will go steal the real Knocklist because he reveals that the one that she has is actually a fake. Yes. And so the only reason that she's able to believe him that it's fake because she says, well, I'm just going to look at it and confirm that that what you're telling me is that this list is fake. And he says that there's a homing device on it. And if she puts it into the computer that she's going to get tracked down. So her defense is that, okay, so you're telling me that this is a fake list, but also that I can't check if it's a fake list, which seems to be unideal if you're trying to suss out if it is in fact fake. So they decide to put the list into the computer anyway. And at this point, we see in fact that Ethan was telling the truth. We see a bunch of agents who are wearing disguises running into the building and everyone in that room runs out and escapes and Max realizes, okay, he's telling the truth. There was a tracking device on this list. It was a decoy. I still want the real one. So she and Ethan decide on a new deal. And so for $10 million and Ethan gets to meet who Job was, um, Ethan will go and steal the real knock list and not just get half of it, like what Job was promising her, but get the full list for her. So what Ethan gets out of this is he gets to find out who the mole was, who Job was, who killed his whole team. And I mean, he can make $10 million, which would be great, but mainly by revealing who the mole is, he can kind of clear his name. Yeah. And Ethan has like serious BDE here when he's like, yo, I'm going to get the whole list for you. Like, don't you worry. (laughs) Um, I did not see that coming. And also this is the point where he decides to assemble a new ragtag team to go and find this brand new list. Yeah. This is my favorite part of any heist movie where they have to bring together a new team. Mm -hmm. So we already know that Claire is actually alive which is very suspicious, might I add, that somehow Claire had survived when everyone else had died other than Ethan. Yeah, so Claire appears back at the safe house and her and Ethan bump into each other. And she reveals that earlier when um, Jim had said... Uh, abandon the mission she actually did so it turns out she was not in the car that exploded and there's like this weird like i don't know if in 1996 this was like sexy but he's like threatening her and like grabbing her wrists and the whole thing is extremely uncomfortable considering we already have heard that jim was apparently like ethan's father and claire is jim's wife and like her husband just died and the whole thing is very uncomfy Yeah. So I guess from Ethan's perspective, he's like, okay, you just showed up. We know that there was a mole. I know I'm not the mole and somehow you're still alive. So he's very sus of her and is just like, okay, are you the mole? I'm going to pat you down and see if you have any weapons, which was like super uncomfortable. I'm going to pat you down, Claire. Yeah. I hated every second of that (laughs) pat down. It was like so creepy, but I guess If I'm trying to go from a, he's looking for a weapon perspective, I guess I can tolerate it. He did not Um, need to like linger on her bosom like he does. Yeah, it was a tad uncomfy. I didn't love it. I was just like wanting the moment to end. But he decides, okay, you aren't the mole. You came back and appeared at the safe house kind of at the time we said we would all meet back here. And they decide that they're going to go and find a new team to discover who Job actually is and complete this mission. Yes. So they pull up a list of disavowed 
um, impossible mission force agents. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things when they're talking to the team. So they basically pull up this guy named Luther. Luther's nickname is Phineas Freak. <laughs> and I would like to be referred to as Phineas Freak from now on. Thank you. Okay, Phineas Freak, I can, <laughs> I will inform your fiance. <laughs> like, what an amazing name. Phineas Freak is pretty great. I absolutely love, I love Luther, and I love that he's called Phineas Freak. I love that he knows how to negotiate, and I love that he wears a white suit to this meeting. Okay, Luther, I'm, I mean, we're going to tear our characters later, but spoiler alert, he is the greatest so we learned that luther in this team is that tech guy who typically is like the nerdy skinny um like weak guy who like spends all of his time on computers but luther is like this big manly man who's strong as hell and oh my god he is perfection i adore him he's fantastic and then the other guy that they also pull in is this guy named krieger who is your kind of like basic, imagine like someone a little greasy. Mm-hmm. He kind of wears like uh, a newsboy cap and he just seems like every villain from every action movie ever. Yeah, so he's kind of a little bit of the muscle. I think his main point is that he's a pilot, although they don't use it in this mission. Um, like one of his key features later is that he's a pilot. Um, but he's kind of going to be helping Ethan break into the CIA and steal the real knock list. And so at this point, they're kind of discussing the mission, um, how they're going to help and trying to convince uh, these two new members of their team that they can actually get this done. And this is kind of the part of the film where they run down all of the obstacles that they'll have. And it's laying it out that this mission is essentially impossible and no one could ever get it done. But somehow this team will. Yeah, this mission is bananas. So they need to break into the CIA, which already that sounds like I'm already tired. I'm already out of Mm -hmm. this. But so first of all, they need to get into the CIA. Then they're going to need to break into this vault, which requires all of these different crazy security things. There's a floor that's pressure sensitive. The temperature in the room can't raise more than a degree. There's an AC vent that they can go through, but there's laser beams through that. Like, the whole thing is just absolutely next level, which honestly, I guess would make me feel a lot better if I was an American to be like, oh, the CIA, they're trying. <laughs> they're putting in a real uh, top-notch effort to secure this this list. Oh, and my favorite part when they're breaking down this mission is that they kind of zero in on the mark right? So we've got the guy that they're going to essentially, I don't want to say like, make a fool of, but essentially Mm -hmm. who's going to get fired for all of this going down is this guy named William Donlow. And I feel- Oh my god, I feel so so bad bad for William. This whole movie, poor William. He's like really just- So the room that has the knock list in it on a computer, heavily guarded, they list through all these barriers to entry- But William is the tech who goes in and he's the only person who truly has access to this room. Uh, He's the one who keeps an eye on it, does all of his work in there. And part of what they need him for is to get through a few security barriers. So they need his key card to be in the computer by the time they get into the room. Yes. And And did you see what his actual job title is, by the way? 
No, no. What is it? He's an analyst. And I was like, that's not cool. Like, you know, as someone who does a lot of analysis, I'm like, this is some poor stats guy. He's probably sitting at a computer running Excel spreadsheets. And like, he's going to get fired because of this. He doesn't deserve that. Justice for William. So the way that they decide that they're going to initially get into the CIA is by disguising themselves as firefighters. So uh, the three of them who are actually going to be entering the building, so everyone except for Luth, who is our tech guy, who's going to be staying in a van outside, he triggers a fire alarm. So our three remaining characters run in, dress as firefighters, and uh, the fire alarm that they've specifically set off is in a part of the building that they can access a vent to go. And the way they're ultimately going to enter the room is through a vent at the top of the room. Now, uh, Claire sneaks away at the very beginning. She sneaks into a room to change out of firefighter attire and into just like a little business suit to try to blend in with the, the rest of the CIA. What did you think of her suit? Because I loved it. Top notch. Oh, yeah. She looks fantastic. She's in like a red blazer and like a red pencil skirt. She looks fucking fierce. Oh, she also has like the really plump lips that are in style nowadays. Yes. Yeah, she was she's Kylie like the, Jenner. She's like original Kylie Jenner. That's like the first thing I thought when I saw her. I was like, oh, she did it first. She knows what's up. Yeah, she's hella hot. She's hella styling. And she has a really cool job. Yeah, so she... Her choice of husband is so questionable. I know. She could do so much better than Jim. He sucks. We don't know how she ended up with Jim. So it's super weird in the movie when they explain that they're together because he's really, really old. And I understand that, like, age is just a number and it's about who you love with your soul. But, like, he's too old. He is too old for her. Well, his personality is also just, like, very boring. Like, he doesn't do shit that makes me be like, oh, yeah, like, I get it. He is total wet blanket yeah he's not super exciting or at least we are we aren't shown him being that exciting i guess from an outsider perspective it's like okay he's a cool cia agent he's on this task force and he's in charge those could be pretty interesting maybe like the bar is pretty low if you're a cia agent you can't tell a lot of people about your job mm-hmm. so claire needs to basically meet up with william not meet up, but she mm-hmm. needs to secretly find William and she is essentially going to give him food poisoning um, by yeah. squirting an unknown liquid into his coffee. Yeah. So William has gone for a coffee break. She finds a seat beside him. She pretends that she's doing a crossword puzzle and with her pen, which kind of a baller move to do a crossword puzzle with a pen. Yes, but seriously. she just kind of tilts her hand up holding the pen and squirts some liquid into his cup and then just fucks off. She just like just just leaves and William sipping his coffee. He ends his break and he goes to go back into the room. Now, at this point, we have Ethan and um, I forget the guy's name, Krieger. our pilot friend, Krieger. So we have Ethan and Krieger up in the vents. There is a laser beam that is cutting across the vent that is supposed to be the security, but they have a device like a mirroring device that they place over the laser beams. So it doesn't cut the laser beam because that would trigger the alarm, but instead it just reflects it in a new way where it continuously goes. So it forms a circle instead of it cutting in half. It's a classic. So 
Yeah, classic uh, laser bouncer circle maker. We've all done this in you an know. escape room, you know? I mean, in the escape rooms, I just dodge it. Which, to be honest, um, w- okay, so uh, Kelly and I have done a lot of escape rooms. Um, 99% of the time for these escape rooms, if they're lasers, you just like make yourself super flat on the ground and just you like just wiggle your way, your way under. You just worm your way under it. <laughs> Uh, fail safe they they don't bounce them very often on the floor <laughs> so they're, they're able to do this they refract mm-hmm. the laser beams and oh <laughs> why didn't you say it what the fuck was i saying earlier <laughs> why was i allowed to talk about that section i liked i liked what you said <laughs> like the circle bouncing laser thing it's oh the, god the circle of life um so they are able to refract the lasers and so we know that the plan now is that Ethan is going to drop in from above. Iconic. The most iconic scene in the movie, right? Like, everyone mm-hmm. knows this scene. Oh, by, by far, by far. Spider-Man before Spider-Man. Yes, OG Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he, like, is basically slowly being lowered down. The, the ab strength it would take to do this whole scene just is not lost on me. Oh, and he actually does it. It's incredibly impressive. Yeah, so he's able to, like, be brought down and then kind of gets his way over onto the computer console, types all the shit in, and puts in the disk to get what he needs. But at one point, um, Krieger, while up in the vent, he spots a rat. Oh, yeah. I also just want to point out that in my notes, I said mirrors refracting lasers, and I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, so we have Spider Tom, who's hanging down, and at this point, William has walked into the room right before he rappelled down. He put his key card in the computer, and then he starts throwing up. So yeah. he gets sick in a wastebasket. He runs out to go to the bathroom, and then we have Spider Tom slowly descending, and he starts doing his work on the computer. Um, he's kind of getting shit done, and that's when there's a rat that appears in the vent, and it scares uh, Kruger, and he almost fully drops Tom. I think it's not just that he scares him, but I think he realizes, like, oh, if the rat comes too close and falls, <laughs> then they're fucked, right? Because if the rat falls down onto the ground, that's the end of the whole thing. Um, rats rats are not that stupid. It, the rat's not going to like roam over and be like, oh, a giant hole. Let me throw myself onto Good this point. floor. Good point. Rats are pretty smart. I don't want yeah. to, um, you know, be negative about rats. We're, we're a pro-rat podcast. We are a pro-rat podcast. We think that they are intelligent and would not just throw themselves from a very high uh, ledge. Yeah, Krieger is not pro-rat. He's very anti-rat, and he kills the rat. I don't know how he did that. So he lets his hand slide, Spider-Tom falls, and he catches him again. And somehow in that time, he pulled out a knife and killed the rat while also holding on to Ethan, which there's no way any of that happened, but but we can believe it. So uh, Ethan is hanging like an inch from the ground oh my gosh he's full starfish we need to talk about his face in this scene i it is i love it i love it when 
like actors and actresses aren't just trying to look like perfect all the time. Like he is strained his part of like the tension of the scene is how like stressed and red his face is from hanging there from doing all these flips and and like really intense ab moves while he's trying to like get this disc and, and not touch the ground and not raise his body temperature. And there's just a lot going on. And throughout this whole scene, you have this really like intense, like tension that he's now just hanging like an inch from fucking up this whole mission in the CIA. Yeah. And as a sweaty person, I really <laughs> understand how, how he must feel where like the bead of sweat is about to drip onto the pressure-sensitive floor, which, due to earlier scenes, we know it will react if one drop of anything falls onto it. He's able to catch the, the bead of sweat that has fallen. Very unrealistic based on where his hands were. So he's like yeah. an inch from the ground, hands stuck out, facing down. And then they show that he has uh, sweat dripping off of his face and he somehow turns his hand and catches it in his palm. But it's fine. I liked it so much that I, it's fine. It's fine. They will pretend that he pulled him up a little bit and he was able to do that. Yeah, we'll let this one slide because the scene <laughs> isn't iconic. We'll, we'll let it go. So uh, Kruger then pulls him up a little bit more. He's able to get the, real no the full knock list um, onto a CD. Um, no, it's not a CD though. It's a floppy disk, Megan. Oh, my bad. 1996, my bad. baby. So he gets it on a floppy disk. Um, and he has two, uh, just, just a backup, just in case. And he tucks it into his pocket. Um, and then he gets pulled back up through the vent just in the nick of time, um, before William starts coming back. But when he gets to the top of the vent, we have Kruger who's holding a knife that he had just used to kill the rat and he drops the knife. And as we know, the floor is pressure sensitive. And if anything drops, all the alarms will go off. But the knife lands blade first into the desk. Luckily, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and this I have two questions for you here. Mm -hmm. One was Krieger threatening Ethan here was he like I will kill you if you don't give me the disc maybe it kind of seemed like he had it pulled out at him and was like hand me the disc at the top but because he drops the knife we just kind of yada yada passed it yeah because I didn't really feel that way but my partner was convinced that that's what was going on um so I, I honestly just thought Krieger was an idiot and dropped the knife um and I'm 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 kind of on the side of he was going to threaten him and be like, give me the list. <laughs> do you see how bad I fucked up that rat? That could be you. Yeah, you're a rat. You're Krieger, a fucking Krieger rat. does not sound like that, but in my mind he does. Um, and the question, the other question I have is if you're Don, Don Lowe, what are you thinking when you walk back in here and there's this knife blade first into your your terminal like i would feel so threatened is don lowe's is that the actor's name no that's the character william don lowe's william? character yes. oh i didn't even know his last name so we'll I'm very i'm very invested in william don lowe <laughs> i think we know uh william's like long gone 
but yeah, I would feel very threatened. Although, okay, so he sees this knife that is very threatening. I think he learns he probably uh, fucked up a little bit by leaving his uh, key card in when he ran off to the bathroom. Because when he touches the computer, it shows like big on the screen, like files downloaded like less than a minute ago because there's a timestamp. And he just looks up and panics. Yeah, it's a disaster. So at that point, uh, they scooch out back down the vent, get their uh, firefighter uniform back on. Um, They run to meet Claire. And we have um, Luther, who's outside, uh, ring all the fire alarms in the building so that it looks like the firefighters are kind of escorting people out, even though they're at the very front of, of the people running. Which I feel like if you were a firefighter, you'd like be at the back of the herd. Um, yeah, it would make more sense, but you know. Eh, maybe they're just being leaders. They're, they're showing everyone the way out. So they get everyone out of the building. It's kind of a huge distraction to cover up that they had uh, stolen the list, changed clothes, and run away. They run into the car and they make their getaway because they have successfully infiltrated the CIA and gotten the list. Yes, and one of my other favorite parts about this whole caper that they're able to pull off is that while it's going on, we also see a scene of Kittredge, and he's, like, in the CIA, clearly, and he's talking about how they're going to find Ethan, and at one point, you hear, like, this alarm going off, and he's like, what is that? And someone in his office goes, oh, it's just the fire alarm, and it's like, oh, Kittredge, you you poor sweet summer child. You've been (laughs) duped, baby. Yeah, got him. (laughs) Got him. Um, And also, did you notice that, obviously I did notice because I'm William Donlow's number one fan, Mm -hmm. that he is told that he's going to be sent to Alaska after this. (laughs) He's being relocated to Alaska alone. Yeah, that's pretty sad. So once uh, the CIA discovers that someone has snuck in and stolen the list, they need to blame someone and they're like, fuck, let's send this tech guy a million miles away because you and I are the only two people in the in the world that know that this list was stolen other than William. So let's ship this guy off so he can't speak to anyone and no one else will find out about this. Like the poor guy has been food poisoned and now is going to Alaska. Like, that just sucks. Do you have to go if your job is like, we're, we're shipping you to Alaska? Can't you just be like, no, you know what? I'll find another job. I'm an analyst. You know, I get threatened a lot. He could, but, like, he probably gets paid a lot. Honestly, I want a spinoff series about William. William and Max, please. Can they be a dynamic duo? (laughs) Can they get married? Can Luther also be a part of this ragtag team? I'll write the fan fiction. Okay, okay. You you have a lot of work to do after this. Um, So, we return to London. Mm Mm-hmm. And... This is also a really great scene. Did you did you uh, follow this magic trick that Ethan pulls? Ooh, I love the magic trick. Um, but maybe give everyone a little bit of context into why he has to randomly start performing magic. I mean, anyone like everyone should just be doing magic at all times. Uh, who doesn't love some good table magic? I think that I'm someone who's like very charmed by someone who does magic. Um, I think most people would not be so enthused. Like I would for sure love to go to different magic shows. I think yeah. a lot of people see it as like dorky. Yeah, Krieger is not happy. So Krieger uh, essentially starts threatening Ethan 
he is throwing around stuff off his desk and he wants to be the one to hold on to the knock list. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm the one that has it. Screw you. Like, you're going to do what I want. Yes. And so Ethan, you know, pulling off his best David Blaine impression is like, you think you have the knock list. And honestly, I don't even know how to describe what he does. It's just a little sleight of hand, you know, and reveals that he actually had slipped him a secondary disc, which was Mm -hmm. not the real knock list. And I have some insider information about this magic trick. Do you want to hear about it? (laughs) Absolutely. So apparently Tom Cruise practiced this for a really long time to perfect it and was like very proud of himself for this scene. Method acting at its finest. Yeah, he was like, listen, Chris Angel, sit down, take some lessons from me. I'm going to make this disc look like it's somewhere else. Yes, and honestly, it is it is very funny and Krieger gets super mad. He throws the disc in the garbage and then... About five seconds later, we learn that the disc that Krieger threw in the garbage was, in fact, the real knock list. Which Ethan was playing a pretty risky game because I feel like there was like a much higher chance that he gets mad and just storms out holding the disc still or he breaks it or he does literally anything other than leave it in perfect condition somewhere that Ethan can just pick it up and go, oh, thank goodness that he believed that. Yeah, it's a very ballsy move, but it works out for him. And he realizes that the best person to trust in this situation is obviously Luther, because we know Phineas Freak is the man that you should leave all of your things with. Oh, yeah. The most trustworthy, the most wholesome. He will take care of you. He will cook you a warm meal. He will infiltrate the CIA for you. He he really does it all. Yes. Yeah, so he leaves the actual knock list with luther mm-hmm. now it's also kind of during this scene that ethan realizes who he suspects um to be a uh, job so while he's there he finds out that the bible uh that he took in prague belongs to the chicago drake hotel uh where jim phelps uh claimed to have stayed for a recruitment session So he's kind of realizing or starting like the gears are starting to turn that, oh, it's kind of strange that um, this Bible that that I found, why would Jim bring it back to our safe house? Um, So that's a little bit put on pause when suddenly we hear Claire yelling for Ethan to come over because it's been announced that his uncle and his mother have been arrested for uh, being accused of drug trafficking, which is really just the CIA trying to draw Ethan out of hiding because they're like, okay, we can't get to him. Let's arrest his family and make him come out. Yes, and Ethan obviously realizes this, so he immediately dashes out into the pouring rain, which I feel like every dramatic, you know, second to third act scene needs some rain. Yeah, yeah, it just makes things a little a little bit more dramatic um we're used to seeing him sweaty so it's just like keeping him in character we're like oh yeah that's ethan we we know what he looks like still he's always moist um so he runs (laughs) slightly damp he runs to an underground station and he uses a payphone to call kittredge Mm -hmm. and essentially 
the whole conversation is just like a dick measuring contest is the best way that I can describe it. And obviously, Ethan realizes that the CAA will be able to track his whereabouts, so he times it perfectly so that Kittredge is only able to see that he's in London, but not able to see otherwise, like, what city or, like, an exact location. Yeah, pretty convenient that there was just a a clock that also showed, like, seconds very big and clearly, like, all the way across this square that he could see from uh, the payphone. Yeah, you know, he picked his spot well, I guess. I mean, I guess watches exist, and he could have just, like, looked at his watch. I think the only watch we know that he has is the one with the weird video, though. That connects to his glasses? Yeah. Ah, damn it, I just want to know the time. This is just my (laughs) video watch. Damn it. (laughs) So after um, he, just in the nick of time, hangs up his phone call, um, we see that someone directly in the in the phone booth next to him, bump on na it's Jim. Jim like turns around and is like, my man, what's up? I'm alive, bitches. Very convenient. Also, like Jim had been shot in the stomach, um, as far as we know, multiple days ago, mm-hmm. which I am not a doctor, but I think you would need to go to a hospital to get that fixed. I mean... Uh, you were a lifeguard, which is doctor adjacent at the very least. <laughs> basically. basically. Basically a doctor. We are basically doctors. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's on my resume. But like, yeah, he should definitely be dead. It's completely far-fetched that he would just be like walking around in London. Fr- like he somehow got there from Prague. Mm-hmm. Ethan should have a lot of questions. Um, and it's possibly because he's starting to connect the dots based on the Bible back at the hotel where he's like, I kind of know what's going on with you. So I'm just going to pretend to accept all this bullshit you're telling me. Yeah, which he really does just eat up the bullshit Jim tells him. Um, he basically is like, oh, yeah, like we know there's a mole. And and Jim tells him the mole is actually Kittredge. Mm-hmm. So kind of at this point. Although Jim is telling him that the mole is Kittredge, he's kind of realizing um, that, like, it's probably not and that that it's probably Jim. Um, But he remembers that Kruger is involved and he remembers that uh, Kruger used the same knife that was used to kill um, Goslin and Sarah. So he's kind of starting to put all these things together where, you know what, Jim might not be who he says he is. Uh, Kruger was the one who had the exact same knife that stabbed my friend, so they might be in cahoots. Uh, And you can kind of see him putting all this together. Yes, but he does still need to go forward with the final mission that they have been tasked with, Mm -hmm. which is they're going to essentially deliver the Noclist to Max while she is on a train... The train, I should say, from London to Paris. The high-speed train. Yes. And also, I guess we should just quickly point out that uh, they agreed to keep uh, the fact that Jim is alive a secret. And he doesn't tell Claire, who's Jim's wife, that, that he's alive because he still wants to suss out and figure out, did you know this? Are you also working against me? Or are you on my side? Yes, which we will soon find out. The answer to isn't that isn't this isn't this like the hand makeout night before they go meet up on the train? I think so, and I just like don't even want to go there. <laughs> it's so gross. There is, 
There's some like heavy petting that happens when he gets home from the phone call. There's like some solid hand making out and then fading to black. I just hate it because like we've been told so many times that Ethan thinks of Jim like a father and then for Ethan to be like, sorry, dad, I'm a fuck your wife. Like, that's not cool, man. Yeah, no, it's very not cool. It's super weird. Um, But, you know, I, I guess Ethan's lonely. I don't know. I don't know how to justify. I mean, I can't really justify it, but like he might die tomorrow. She's pretty hot. He's like, all right, she's initiating. She's super hot, so I don't blame him on that front, but yeah, it's just... Like, a- her husband's probably murdered all of his friends and might have turned against her, so maybe he thinks, oh, we, we have a lovely future ahead of us. So, <laughs> they, they head to their final mission, they're going to the train, and we see that Luther is basically going to be wiring the Noclus to Max... Um, but it needs to be sent to her before she goes through the channel, which is very important because obviously, as everyone knows, she's going to lose Wi-Fi when she goes through the channel. So it needs to be sent to her. I thought, I thought, I thought that what happened was, is Ethan had taped the Noclus underneath, uh, her chair. Oh, you're right. My bad. Yeah. I just wanted Luther (laughs) to be more involved. Luther's pretty involved. So so kind of what happens is they decide that they're going to do this exchange on a train. And part of the reason that they had chosen this train, which how do you feel about a, a train being a good meetup place? Because I kind of don't think it's a great place. No, I don't think so. You can't really like leave as we see later. It's very hard to escape from. I just it doesn't seem like a good spot. Yeah, I guess from their perspective, they don't really want the other person to be able to leave in case they don't hold up their end of the bargain. Um, So they have each placed their respective items that they're supposed to give to each other at different parts of the train. So Ethan has taped the Noclus underneath the chair and uh, Max has put his $10 million in a briefcase somewhere else on the train. Yes, in the luggage compartment. Yeah. So they call each other and uh, Ethan says, look underneath your seat. Like it's like this sweet it's Oprah. prize. It's like, Oprah. Yeah. everyone look under she, your seat. You get she a like, She pulls out like candy and the knock list and keys to a new car. And She's a like, fuck yeah, <laughs> this is the best day ever. So she then puts the knock list in, pulls it up, sees that it is in fact the complete list. She gives him the exact whereabouts of the briefcase that has his money in it, as well as the combination to open it. Now she has the list on her computer on the train. And at this point, she's trying to mail it to someone else. And this is where Luther's sitting nearby and he's actually blocking the signal. Yes, yes. That's what Luther's up to. Mm Mm-hmm. Luther being his sexy self is just being perfection, stopping all these people from uh, getting their secret identities revealed. And yeah, it's just, it's coming up, coming up Luther right now. He's just kind of nailing every role he's given. Yeah, because I honestly was like, wait, why is Ethan just going to give over this list? Like, that doesn't seem very in character for him. But then once I saw what was actually going on, where it's like, oh, they're going to purposely make sure that Max can't get the names. Like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So a part of this deal is also that Ethan will be able to figure out who Job is and his true identity so that he can clear his own name. And he also wants to discover if... Claire is who she says she is and if she's involved with Jim in any way because kind of at this point he knows yeah for sure it's Jim um I just need to extract this information from Claire 
So he gets one of his handy dandy, very realistic masks made, question mark. Like, where yeah, the fuck did he have time he for does that? He not just have these masks. It's very odd. And this is also the fourth mask. We missed one because he took one off screen um, during the firefighter scene. So yeah. Mask number four for, for Ethan here. These, like, incredibly expensive, detailed masks that would take you, like, hours to apply to your face. He puts one on of Jim, and he just, like, sits very quietly at the back of the train (laughs) where he tells Claire uh, he's going to be. He literally looks like a corpse. Like, he's just sitting totally static at the end of the luggage compartment, and it is so creepy. Yeah, because, like, of course he can disguise his face, but it's not like he's going to be able to trick like Jim's wife into realizing it's it's not truly him if he speaks or really moves so he's just kind of sitting in the shadows like not moving or speaking so Claire is the one that Ethan tells uh relays the information of here's where the money is because he wants to check if Claire is just going to run it to Jim if uh he's working with Ethan or if she's working with Jim so she goes gets the money and runs into the room, sees who she thinks is her husband, Jim, and walks up and starts narrating, oh, do you think we should kill Ethan? Like, how do you want to deal with the situation? And Ethan, like, rips off his face and is like, ha ha, fuck you, Claire. I thought I thought you cared about me. Um, at this point, I guess Jim also, the real Jim, walks in, which, was he just sitting there while... Like, where was he in a briefcase? It is very unclear where Jim came from. I really hope that he's sitting watching Ethan dressed up as Jim, talking to his wife, and is like, ah, oh, this joker. Yeah, I guess maybe, because he has all the equipment to climb on top of the train. Did he, like, climb up from the top? It's all very confusing, but... We get this mm-hmm. really horrible um, kind of confrontation between Jim and Ethan and Claire and basically saying, Jim saying that Claire didn't think that you were going to fall for her charms, but, and this is my least favorite line in any movie oh, we've watched oh, so far. Yeah, yeah. Having tasted the goods. Ugh. And at that point, my entire um, skin jumped off my body. I was so grossed out by Luther this. would never say such a line. The worst. The absolute worst. So this confrontation goes down. Jim admits, like, oh, yeah, it's me. He's like, when did you know that I was the one who was the mole? And obviously, Ethan's like, when I saw that the Bible was from Chicago, you fucking idiot. And which is not like the best logic. There's also a point when uh, Ethan first meets Max uh, because um, Ethan had sent out a lot of random emails off into the universe to try to like get an email back from Max. And Max has this little line where she's saying, oh, you were pretty dramatic in those emails. I should have known you were in Job. Like he doesn't even quote Bible scripture, which kind of backtracking is then why did he need the Bible? Yeah, the whole thing is just very odd. There's just like a real big plot plot hole in a lot of points. After I watched the movie, I had to kind of pause and be like, what happened in a few places? How did, how did we get here? It's like they just wanted to include the Bible thing, but they had to like really shoehorn it in there. Yeah, yeah. They could have found a way for him to get revealed uh, probably a few different ways. And this would have been like my very last choice. Yeah, so we know now Jim was the mole with Claire kind of assisting. And then Jim is standing right in front of Ethan. 
and Jim's like, no one's ever going to believe you. You're the only one who knows that I'm alive. Everyone thinks I'm dead. And then Ethan, which, first note, why did Jim not shoot him right there? Like, he, like, waits. Like, Ethan's like, oh, and he, like, goes and pulls out his handy-dandy camera glasses from up his sleeve, because we know that Ethan is a big fan of close-up magic. And he plops them on his face, and he's like, because, Jim, I'm not the only one who's seen you alive. And then at that very moment when he says that, of course, Kittredge looks at the watch, which had been mailed to him by Ethan, and sees, oh, Jim's obviously alive. Like, I'm seeing him currently through Mm -hmm. the watch. And then uh, Ethan throws the glasses, and Jim (laughs) tries to shoot Ethan, but... Jim can't really do anything right, so he accidentally shoots Claire. Yeah, so he kills his wife. Uh, he reveals his identity. And, like, all bad guys need to give that lengthy monologue. Like, of course, they're not just going to shoot you first. Like, they have to explain themselves and let them <laughs> let you know that they got the best of you. That's true. Um, so Ethan then needs to obviously chase down Jim. And Jim has escaped through the above of the train and he starts like slow-mo crawling towards the back of the train because we see that Krieger is flying a helicopter behind the train. Yeah, this is so random, but I guess finally he's using like that skill of being a pilot that we were told about. We're like, haven't seen him fly anything. No, he's flying a huge fucking helicopter uh, at at the back. And also while this is happening, the CIA has now infiltrated the train and they have found and caught Max before she was able to mail out the Knox list. Yeah, and the CIA is clearly in bed with Max, too. Because they're like, oh, yeah, we won't have to get lawyers involved. Don't worry. I was like, whoa, CIA. Oh, no, I no, I read that as a as a threat. Oh, I Because she like... was like, she was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was like, oh. Like, you're going to have to deal with my lawyers because they're like, oh, we're going to lock you up. And she's like, uh, not so fast. And they were like, uh, we don't really need to get lawyers involved for this. Kind of in my mind saying like, you you, don't, you won't even have a chance to defend yourself. Oh, I read it as, because I think she also said like, I'm sure we, I have something that you'll want. Like, I think that they're like, yeah, yeah. like a shady little tradie. No, no, that's what she's pitching. So they're like, oh, you won't even have a chance because we're not even going to let you you use your lawyers and she's like oh i'm sure i can find something that you want like i'm sure we can work something out maybe but poor max gets caught and i mean i know she's an arms dealer and stuff but she was just so cool i really want that spinoff i'm really hopeful that she'll be there in the future because she's like such a sweet character and could they could have done a lot more with her yeah and i feel like we can kind of yada yada the chase sequence like it's fine they chase (laughs) it's only like the most intense part (laughs) Yeah, they do a lot of uh, running around on top of the train. Uh, apparently, it took them months to set up the stunt because they couldn't find like a wind tunnel strong enough. They tried like jet engines. They tried like to get a really intense wind, and they ended up using if you know like for the the inside skydiving. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, so they used one of those machines and turned it sideways because they didn't just want, like, your hair to be blowing a bit. They wanted, like, your face to be half ripping off. And, like, you're doing all these flips and turns and uh, Ethan's chasing Jim down the plane, or, sorry, down down the train. And Jim is trying to maneuver himself down so that he can hop onto the helicopter and escape. 
but uh, the helicopter shoots this um, hook, I guess carabiner, to clip onto the train so that Jim can climb onto it. But instead, uh, the train ends up getting uh, stuck with the helicopter because they clip it on and then he pushes Jim away and they start fighting and the helicopter can't escape and they go to drive underneath a tunnel the channel and so then the helicopter <laughs> yeah so then somehow this hell i thought that he was just gonna get smushed i was like oh okay this helicopter guy's just done but at yeah. the last second he like he dips down and then there's a helicopter flying in the tunnel behind the train because it's still attached to it and somehow a whole ass helicopter has fit in this tunnel and is able to maneuver itself around no, this is totally crazy. And, like, the poor train operator is just like, uh, <laughs> they did not teach us this in train school. And I am unclear <laughs> on what to do. We did not learn this at train school. <laughs> but obviously, He's Ethan. Like, SOS. Ethan is able to make it out alive. The same cannot be said for Krieger and Jim, which also I'm like, how is the CIA really going to be like, oh, yeah, Ethan, you were right. Like, there's no bodies. Like, those people are incinerated. Yeah, so how Ethan escapes is that Jim ends up being able to climb onto the helicopter, like that, the little feats of it, just like kind of hooks himself on, the little feetsies. And then uh, Ethan is like, fuck it, I'm jumping onto the other foot, hops onto that. And then he has another piece of the, the lasagna gum. He like mashes it up, slaps it on the helicopter. The helicopter explodes and it pushes uh ethan forward back onto the train in the explosion and he's able to grab a uh, part of the train and hold on to it while it goes away whereas i guess jim just got fucked up by the explosion and died so that's how ethan escaped yeah barely he almost gets uh beheaded by the helicopter blade as well but he just barely makes it out alive yeah it's pretty dramatic it's pretty great considering 20 years ago like this is insane stunt work and insane footage that they're able like like it's so far-fetched but but it works and i think that part of why i love this movie so much now is because like it is kind of funny but yeah the plot it had a, a few confusing points um but i guess long story short with this kind of just to wrap things up so then uh, we see that Luther hands the necklace back over to Kittredge, being the hero that we truly don't deserve, um, because again, he just is like saving all of us once again with all these other terrible characters that uh, kill each other and um, are very disappointing. Um, and now that the mole has been neutralized and the necklace has been retrieved, um, Ethan is kind of good to go. His name has been cleared, his family, the charges have been dropped because they know that they were just doing that to try to draw Ethan out and that they didn't actually do anything wrong. And apparently Ethan is kind of done with being a spy. He's been through a lot and says, you know what, I think I'm gonna take a little break. But in the final scene, we see him on an airplane and the stewardess comes up and like really offers him a movie. Yes. And kind of starts using the code words to say, like, mm, you're, you're really going to want to watch this movie. You're going to want to go to Aruba. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really going to need you to, to, to head over uh, to Aruba right now. So it kind of ends with him seeing the film. And we learn that, OK, he's probably going to probably going to take this this next mission and keep going. Yeah, he's back in. And uh, it closes with a new version of 
the theme song, which was actually composed by Danny Elfman, which is pretty cool. Oh, I don't know who that is. He does the music for The Simpsons. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah, so that's fun. Um, In terms of sequels, obviously we know there are a ton of Mission Impossible sequels. I will say it's kind of funny. This movie was directed by Brian De Palma, and Brian De Palma does not go on to direct any further Mission Impossible films. And allegedly, he did not get along with Tom Cruise. Oh, I thought he was so great. That's that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, based on what I was kind of reading, um, so Brian De Palma, he makes a lot of, like, not really action movies. He makes more, like, psychological stuff. So I wonder if that's why he just wanted to work on other stuff. But I, I kind of feel like that's part of why I love this movie so much is because of all, like, the psychological shots and, like, the suspense. And, you know, a lot of action movies have, like, a lot of heavy gunfights and um, killing. I mean, we just watched Die Hard. So it's, like, the whole thing was just, like... Um, just like shooting at each other the whole time and like really high action. This one, there was a lot of action, but um, like Ethan didn't even ever shoot a gun. Yeah, it was like um, twists was, and turns and it yeah, was totally different. It was very heisty. Yes, and the budget for this movie was 80 mil, which yeah, I'm kind of surprised, honestly. Like I feel like a, there was a lot of travel. There's a lot of really big stunts that they did. So I feel like they really crushed it for an $80 million budget. Yeah. So actually, originally, the budget was $40 million, And Tom Cruise really pushed and said, like, no, we need double that. And he's the reason that they were able to get uh, $40 million. And he also offered to get paid more at the back end of the film. Because I think at the time, he was uh, he would have been paid $20 million for the movie. And he said, no, I'll get I'll get paid afterwards um, based on the revenue instead so that they were able to use that upfront money towards the, the film. Yeah. And the box office for this movie is wild. It made four hundred fifty seven point seven million dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. That is that's so, so much good. money in 1996. That's mm-hmm. just absolutely crazy. I mean, it's just become this huge franchise now. Like, they're working on Seven right now during COVID somehow. Um, They're out filming. uh, I guess filming's paused right now. But they're one of the only film uh, crews that are still functioning. Like, we have some other productions, uh, downtown Toronto. But this is an international one that's still trucking away. Yeah, and I feel like what I've kind of seen of the Mission Impossible franchise, too, is that a lot of people think it's, like, one of the strongest franchises out there because the movies just kind of, like, keep getting better. Mm-hmm. So. I did read that the first one is very different from the others and that it's a bit of an anomaly. Again, it being more towards, like, the heist and scheme direction versus, like, the really high intense action throughout it. Um so I don't know how much we'll like the second movie in comparison to this one, but this one I, I really loved. Mm-hmm. And should we go through and tier our characters? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Kelly has come up with a tier list, and then from now on we're going to be tiering our characters based on this list. Yes, so we have different names for the tiers. So for bottom tier, a.k.a. tier five, we have the butt monkey. Tier four is the, you know, we're too old for this. This person is only okay. For tier three, we've got, you know, it's just a flesh wound. Like, they're fine. For tier two, we've got the villainous monologue, which, I mean, is always one of my favorite parts of a movie. 
And our top tier is the single punch knockout. So are we allowed to have more than one person top tier per movie? Oh, hell yeah. We can make the rules here. Okay, so I feel like I have two, and I feel like we have the same two. Yes, let's let's hit it. Yeah, so it's Luther and William, right? Luther and William are definitely top tier characters. Yeah, I mean, I would I would probably put Max there too, actually. If if not first, second. Yeah, I feel like Max can be up there. Okay, yeah, because again, I know that you love William, but he did kind of mess up. I know. I just feel so bad for him. Yeah, whereas Max didn't really mess up so much. Yeah, Max Max is great. Mm-hmm. What do we think so, of Ethan? Uh, I mean, Ethan, I guess, did get the job done. He was able to successfully infiltrate the CIA. He uh, stole his uh, father figure's wife just a tiny <laughs> bit. But he did figure everything out. He did some cool shit along the way. Uh, for me, he'd probably be second or third tier. Yeah. Like, like he's he's great, but he's definitely not my favorite character. He doesn't have very much personality. No. It's my main problem. Like, he does all this cool stuff, but at the same he's time... He's kind of sweaty. He's very sweaty, and his main personality trait is that he does magic, which is, like, cool, but... Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite parts about him is that he does magic. I really hope that he continues to do magic throughout the films. I do, too. I think for that, I would put him in tier two. He's, like, a villainous monologue character. If he had a spinoff where he was just a magician, he he turns down the meeting. He's oh like, God. you know what? I don't want this mission. I don't want to be a part of the CIA. I'm going to follow my passion and become a magician. Yeah, this is like a prequel to like Chris Angel Mind Freak. I'd be all Okay. In. So the other fan fictions you had wanted to write, I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. This one I would legitimately read. <laughs> this one's going to take off. But this one I will truly Google. It's this is this is the future um tom cruise call me (laughs) we have here a magician spinoff waiting mission impossible 8 the prequel to chris angel mind freak um what do we think of jim Eh, he's not a very good uh villain he doesn't really accomplish any of his goals and i feel like uh he could have probably done it successfully pretty easily yeah i think he's too old for this shit like why would he reveal himself to Ethan? Why not just kind of snipe him while he's in while he's in the booth? Yeah, he he was just doing too much. Like Jim needs to calm the fuck down. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Jim's not great. I'd put him like four, too old for this shit. Yeah, yeah, get and over yourself. I feel Krieger like- also. I don't love him. No, Krieger sucks. He's like bottom tier for me. He's a butt monkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no good. Um, and then Claire. I guess Claire, yeah. She's okay. Like, I'm very indifferent towards Claire. She did poison your favorite character. She did poison my favorite character, which I don't love. And, I mean, she had some killer outfits, and I feel like... Ooh, yeah. She she just... same Kind of similar to Ethan, she doesn't have, like, a super strong personality. Yeah, I, w- I would put her at number three, just a flesh wound. She's like, all right, nothing that exciting. But she was good at her job she kind of got everything she was supposed to get done accomplished other than living at the end (laughs) um but the rest of that she did pretty well yeah she tried her best yeah 10 out of 10 well i i I was gonna say 10 out of 10 effort which i guess is fine it would have liked her better if at the end she pulled off a mask and was also tom cruise (laughs) and then we found out that this whole thing was actually about time travel 
Okay, the mask. If she, okay, if instead he had dressed up as her as a uh, Jim's wife, and went to speak to him, and then killed him instead, and then ripped off the mask, that would have been a thousand oh, times I better. You were gonna say, and then kissed him with the mask on. <laughs> <laughs> Just gotta see what it's like. Listen, the fan fiction writes itself. <laughs> oh my god, oh that'd be god. so good. And I think that's that's Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked it. Did you like it better or worse than Die Hard? Are we gonna te- are we gonna rank these as we go through them? I think so. I think I still like Die Hard just a little bit better. Um, I don't know why. I thought this was really funny, but the plot was kind of hard to follow. Yeah, the plot is very complicated, which like is fine, but it's only because there are so many plot holes. Yes, and there's just, like, they're traveling all over. They're in Europe. They're in America. They're back in Europe. Like, it's a little bit complicated. Simmer down. We are anti-travel right now. We're watching action, an action movie. Like, I don't want to be thinking too much sometimes. And they have to be on a plane to get a mission. Think of how inconvenient that would be. It's like, fuck, I just want to stay at home. But to find out what my next mission is, I have to fly all the way <laughs> and get jet-lagged. Yeah, CIA missions, I don't think you can work from home. No. no Unless you're William, then you can. Uh, Luther probably could. He's he's a remote boy. He is definitely a remote guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's have Die Hard as uh, higher up. But I really like this one. Yeah, it was also really good. It's like right there for me. Mm-hmm. You were going to tell me what the next movie we're going to watch is. Oh my gosh, yes. So since you picked last week, I was racking my brain on what we could do for next week. And I came up with a fantastic idea. Um, we've been watching some actually pretty good movies. So I was like, we need to watch a really, really bad movie. So we have to watch Triple X. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't even want to Google that. I feel like what I want will not come up. How do I Google that? I'm such like, I'm such like, I'm such like an old lady. I'm like, I don't want to type that into my search history. Okay, wait, let me read Triple X. I got it. So our friend Vin Diesel's in it. Um, We got Samuel L. Jackson. We got Ice Cube. Ice Cube? And the main character's name is Xander Cage. Xander Cage. Xander's a fun name. Yeah, and there's apparently three movies. I have not <laughs> seen the 2005 sequel nor the 2017 third act. However, the first movie is called Triple X. Came out in 2002. Yeah, yeah um, it's like the first thing that came up. So um, on Rotten Tomatoes, I guess we haven't pulled up Rotten Tomatoes for the other movies, but this one got a 48. Yeah, it's uh, I'm pretty sure pretty bad. I have never seen it, but I do know the plot is like very convoluted, so... Do you want to give me any teasers? Um, there's a big plot, plot point about people trying to ban rap music. Really? Yeah. <laughs> did, did it work? I don't want to spoil it yet. I'm on the edge of my seat. Just wait. There's like all this other stuff going on and I'm like, but we still listen to rap. It clearly didn't work. Just wait. I think this one will have a lot to make fun of, not necessarily talk about. That would be ideal because today I feel like we had a lot to like talk about to just explain the plot because I feel like I was still confused about the plot while we were going through it. Yeah, yeah this one I think is a little more, a uh, little more we're just going to be laughing at some, some weird stuff going on. Okay, that would be ideal. I'm very excited. The cover of it looks very intense. Yeah, maybe we'll it's get like some this- triple X tattoos. 
Like, you know how Instagram ladies pose, like, looking over your shoulder, get that booty shot? I think that's the whole movie. Yeah, this is Vin Diesel. He's like, check me out. Look at me. I'm Vin. <laughs> Vinny? <laughs> I think that's Vinny all, D? That's all we've got for today. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, a long one. Yes. Um, make sure to follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter at explosions pod and catch us next time talking about uh our homeboy Vinny d yes in triple x not a porno correct yes yeah that's a that's a that's a different fanfic yeah (laughs) that has probably been written (laughs) i'll look some up for next week don't worry okay okay sounds good 